Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Taking a walk. One guitarist I talked to, a guy named Fred Tackett, who's in Little Feet, he played with Dylan for a few years. Um, and he said they rehearsed extensively, the band, but they would rehearse covers of songs they were not going to play live. So the whole band would be doing Sweet Caroline with Dylan or be doing Night Moves by Bob Seeger. This is the Taking a Walk podcast, hosted by Buzz Knight. Music history on foot. And today, Buzz speaks with author Ray Paget. Ray's writing has appeared in The New Yorker, Spin, Vice, and Mojo. You may have heard him on NPR and seen his interview in The Wall Street Journal. His book is called Pledging My Time, Conversations with Bob Dylan Band Members. Join Buzz as he delves into the world of one of our generation's greatest musicians, Bob Dylan. Ray Paget joins Buzz Knight next on Taking a Walk. Well, thanks, Ray Paget, for being on Taking a Walk. Um, I'm in my backyard, so we're doing sort of the virtual Taking a Walk episode. Uh, my dogs are quiet right now. Hopefully, there won't be the fourth Amazon delivery of the day and uh, incite them. Uh, where are you right now? Uh, I am in a co working space in Burlington, Vermont. Uh, I also have a couple dogs, uh, and they tend to interrupt anything I want to do when I'm home, which it sounds like for this wouldn't be a problem. But uh, <laughs> some other people, uh, they, they get real barky when someone walks by the front door. Well, we'll hope for the best here. But uh, congratulations on the book, Pledging My Time, Conversations with Bob Dylan Band Members. And uh, who are some of your favorites that you interviewed uh, for the book? I've got some that I want to mention, but I'd like to hear from you first. Oh, I mean, it's hard to pick. I loved talking to like 
you know, I love Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, and I love when they back, backed up Dylan. So talking to Ben Montench and Stan Lynch, both of whom were in the Heartbreakers, was great. I love talking to Larry Campbell, who is Dylan's guitarist for seven years and just had all sorts of great stories. And some of the early guys, too, Ramblin', Jack Elliott, and Paul from Peter, Paul, and Mary. I mean, getting windows into the like Greenwich Village era was wonderful. Did you find that there was in some cases a code of conduct where if you found some band members uh that you were intrigued for this project uh to talk to they wouldn't speak to you yeah oh absolutely i mean it's not it's nothing official but you know bob dylan is a famously private person and the people who have worked with him sort of take their cues from that you know in many cases it took me months maybe even over a year to convince people to talk with me and in many cases they've never really spoken about their time with Dylan before. So this is really the first time they're telling these stories. So there's a lot in Bob's playbook that uh, comes in and out here in terms of the storyline. One of my favorites is certainly how he would, uh, you know, launch into a song in a concert that uh, the band had never rehearsed. (laughs) Can you talk about that experience? Yeah, that's something that happens in a lot of these interviews. People mention that, that he will just yell out some song, maybe an obscure song, maybe even a famous song, you know, that happened with Tom Petty, speaking of which he just, they'd never rehearsed Lay, Lady, Lay. I mean, a famous song, but they did, they had never rehearsed it or played it live. And one day they're on front of 20,000 people just playing Lay, Lady, Lay or another story you know, right when they're like standing about to go on stage, Bob turns to one of the band members and is like, hey, what song do you want to play tonight? And he picks Tomorrow is a Long Time, a fairly obscure, you know, early song that, again, they never played, but they just sort of went up and, and winged it. And that's a lot of what playing with Dylan is like. But he has this expectation where he's, uh, he's out to make sure that the band keeps the songs fresh uh, and always with some new little twist, right? That's exactly right. He doesn't want to just sort of be a greatest hits machine cranking out the same songs the same way every night. You know, one guitarist I talked to, a guy named Fred Tackett, who's in Little Feet, he played with Dylan for a few years, um, and he said they rehearsed extensively, the band, but they would rehearse covers of songs they were not going to play live. So the whole band would be doing Sweet Caroline with Dylan or be doing Night Moves by Bob Seger. And he says basically the reason was Bob Dylan wanted his band really good, really rehearsed, really able to play together. But he did not want people just getting rote versions of his songs that were going to sound the same every night. So yeah, they'd rehearse a totally different set of material and then they'd go out and tour playing Dylan songs they had not rehearsed. Do you feel that a lot of these musicians ever felt like they they really knew Bob? It varies pretty widely. I mean, some people definitely would say, even though we worked together for five years, I never really knew him. And other people would say, he's just a guy. Like, you know, I was was intimidated at first, but then we just hung out backstage and we went swimming and we had all these hijinks and stuff. And he's just like, once you get into that inner circle, he's just like another person. And I related to him, you know, as a friend. So it really seems like it varied the full spectrum. I'm sure you, uh, you saw the, um, the making of the, um, we are the world documentary. Didn't you? Yeah, sure. I mean, doesn't that give you like a really cool window inside of Bob as well? Yeah. And there's a funny clip that, 
you, you see, I think from that documentary that you can find on YouTube, where it's basically Stevie Wonder is teaching Bob Dylan how to sing his part like Bob Dylan, and they're sort of at the piano working it out. I mean, it's such a, it's sort of Bob outside of his environment. Like, you know, more, normally he likes hanging out with his band, who are mostly not extremely not famous people. So in him, this sort of celebrity all-star setting, you know, half the time he kind of looks like deer in the headlights. Yeah, he didn't look like he was having fun on a lot of occasions. But on the other hand, there was certainly smiles and, you know, joyful looks. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like I say, it's a funny mix. It's these sort of, you know, 80 stars that he, as far as, far as I know, didn't, you know, know. I don't think he's buddies with Hall and Oates or Cindy Lauper. But then, you know, you have these other people from the 60s who, you know, he does go back with, you know, Smokey Robinson or something like that, or Stevie Wonder. Yeah, going back to your uh, interviews with, uh, well, in particular, Stan Lynch, I love that quote uh, from Bob about Tom Petty. Tom was at the top of his game and I was at the bottom. And uh, did you find that the self-deprecating side of Bob shows up a lot? Yeah, sometimes. I mean, he he's very hard on him. He can be very hard on himself and he can be very hard on the musicians, you know, a number of them sort of said that playing with him was both the most invigorating part of their entire careers, but also the most exhausting. I mean, he's not going to give them clear instructions on what he wants from them. And if they do something he doesn't seem to like, you know, they're going to get glared at. So it could be, you know, they they spoke of him with reverence, but it could be a pretty difficult, difficult gig because he's hard on everyone. And uh, I love the story on how uh, Bob got dragged to see uh, Frank Sinatra and Sammy Davis Jr. and then passed on meeting Frank. Yeah, that was another Stan Lynch one. He, the, this is literally the first day of rehearsals. Like, they get an hour in and Stan says, hey, I gotta go. Everyone's like, what the hell? But anyway, he's going to see Frank Sinatra, Sammy Davis. Bob loves them, so he says, can I tag along? They get there. Someone, you know, they're just members of the audience, but someone on Frank's staff or whoever sees them says, hey, come backstage. So they go backstage. Stan Lynch is over the moon. He's going to meet Frank Sinatra. They get to Frank's stage door and Bob's like, and eh, never mind, let's get out of here. <laughs> he just leaves. There's a part of Bob that likes messing with people, don't you think? Absolutely. That, that, there are various stories like that come up all the time, and I think that might be one of them. I had an encounter with him, and I was thinking about this preparing for the interview, where um, it was around the time he was working with Daniel Lanois, and mm -hmm. Bob acted like he couldn't pronounce Daniel's last name, and I started thinking about it, going, he was messing with us, you know? <laughs> that, that, that's funny, and yes, probably, probably true, because he worked with Lanois for several albums. He certainly knew how to pronounce his name. What has been your uh, personal experience, uh, either the concerts you've seen of Bob's or your opportunities that you've had to meet him? Yeah, I mean, I've I've never met him. He's someone who these days, especially, I mean, pretty much no one meets him. He's and he's funny. It's a funny combination. On the one hand, he's extremely reclusive. He doesn't really give interviews anymore. He doesn't, you know, meet people. On the other hand, he tours constantly. So he's both reclusive, but also in front of audiences across the world, you know, every night you know, all year, every year. Um, yeah, and I've seen a lot of those, not that many, but, you know, I've seen a few dozen of those concerts. And that's sort of how I became, moved from a casual fan to a super fan, was just seeing how he reinvents the songs in concert. And it's never the same from night to night. 
Did he make a public comment after uh, Robbie Robertson's passing? I was just wondering. Uh, he did. Yeah, I, I don't have it in front of me, but he said something nice about it. So if you had the opportunity to ask Bob a question, what would you ask him? Oh, man, that would be one question. That's that that's a tough one. I mean, to some degree, I'd ask maybe why why he would how he would explain him touring so much. The fact is the guy's got, you know, more money than God. He does not need to be hitting the road all year every single year he's literally it's been called the never-ending tour since 1988 he basically has not stopped touring and it's just fascinating why he goes not just to new york and la but you know to some city you've never heard of in indiana or iowa or arizona you know i'd i'd, I'd ask him why. why why he wants to be on the road why he wants to be playing concerts sort of that's his life yeah i feel like he was uh, profoundly impacted by his work with uh, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers and the Grateful Dead, um, not only in his creative process, but also just the road warrior aspect of things. What do you think of that theory? I think that's right. He actually writes about that in Chronicles, his book. Um, and basically, especially with the dead, he's saying that like, he went out with the dead and he was feeling really down. And Jerry Garcia, especially, is really pushing him to play these songs he barely remembers from the 60s and stuff. And it kind of got him out of his funk. And I think it's notable that even though those shows with the dead are not very highly regarded, that's the year before this so-called never-ending tour starts. He does these shows with the dead. Jerry Garcia really tries to drag him out of this uh, downward spiral he's in. And sort of he recommits himself to the road, to playing his catalog, to, you know, digging up obscure songs and basically has been doing it co other than a couple of years of the pandemic every single year ever since. And wasn't that period around the time where he came out of that real health scare? Yeah, the, well, that was yeah, that was in the in ninety seven. You know, Larry Campbell is was his guitarist then, and I talked with Larry about it, and you know, he was talking about, you know, he had like just joined the band. They played, I think, well, maybe one tour together, and all of a sudden, they had it, it happened while on tour. Larry's, I, I don't remember, I think, in the Midwest somewhere, there were some. It was like spores from goose droppings, I think, of all things, that if you inhale them the wrong way, they can cause real health complications. And it basically, his heart, you know, he, I don't remember the medical term, but his heart shut down. And Larry was like, I just joined the band. And I thought, and everyone thought maybe this was going to be it. But, you know, a couple months later, Bob was out of the hospital feeling better, and they hit the road again. Well, you did a great job with pledging my time. The uh, interviews in there are tremendous. Are there any interviews that you did, and then someone after the fact said, well, I don't think I want that in there. Uh, no, that never happened. It was, you know, it, it took a lot of work to get people to talk in the first place. You know, no one wants to do anything that they feel like is going to be violating Bob's privacy or is going to be, you know, gossipy or feel gotcha -y. But once people understood that, you know, we were going to go deep, these are going to be long conversations. I really knew the music. I really knew my stuff. Uh, they were they were very open and we really, we really went into it. Well, if you're a Dylan fan or even a casual fan, you're going to love it. Pledging my time, conversations with Bob Dylan band members. Ray Padgett, thanks for being on the Taking a Walk podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Earl. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Taking a Walk podcast. Share this and other episodes with your friends and follow us so you never miss an episode. 
Taking a Walk is available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side.